welcome to the show. I am Joel, and with me is... Hey, it's Jason. What's going on, guys? We've got such a good show for you guys today that I want to just get right to it. So, enough of the zany banter. Jason, <laughs> what's happening around the shop? All right. Uh, so, first thing, something interesting happened today is Kim and Katie got their rules and tools video up for Village Pillage. So, that's exciting. So, that's on YouTube. You can go check it out and see how that game plays and maybe decide if you want to back it on Kickstarter or not. As of the time of this recording, I have not watched it yet. I watched the first couple minutes. Um, it's a special edition, it seems like. Special um, upper respiratory infection edition of <laughs> yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. They're both a little under the weather, but it's still a great video. I look forward to watching that maybe later after we get done recording here. They do a nice job. They have good chemistry. They're they're like almost as good as us, Jason. Let's just say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like the A, the A team, and we're like the, the A... Point one team. I thought you were going to say junior varsity because that's probably more accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's that is probably true, actually. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And then we have another one coming up yet here before too long, right? Or did they get the other video up? The Goblin Grapple. Look for that one too. No, I'm actually going to do that one with Katie. I was going to try to. Oh, awesome. I was going to try to do it up by myself, but I don't know for some reason I was having a hard time motivating myself or figuring out a good way to do it. So figured I'd call in uh, an expert to help me out a little bit. And like awesome on them for doing videos because I don't know, I feel a little insecure doing a podcast because every time I like nose whistle or like <laughs> breathe funny or whatever, like I get insecure on this. Right. But when I was doing videos regularly, I was like, all right, man, got to get to the gym, you know? <laughs> I mean, and so I don't know. It's just, yeah, all your insecurities come out and the camera doesn't do anybody any favors. I mean, honestly. So I don't know. If you, if you, I don't know. If you look at yourself on a video, like you just always are like, oh my gosh, how do people even like me if I look like that and sound like that? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that said, Katie and Kim, we love you guys and you look great in your videos and you do great in your videos. So yeah, I totally, good for you totally for having agree. the courage to do that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Last time I did a video of my, my head and I took up the whole video screen and I thought, man, I am so large that this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> The worst is like in videos, there's this like forced perspective thing because videos are 2D and like real life is 3D. Right. And so if you're standing further forward than someone, you look like absolutely <laughs> massive. Like you look like you're a human giant. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. So that's true. Oh, and uh, the other thing too I want to give props to is if you guys are enjoying the new bumper, which I think is amazing, uh, that was an original composition by Jason. So I really like the new bumper, Jason. Good job on that. All right, let's talk about some news. Um, first game I wanted to talk about is the new game from Shim Phillips, who did Raiders of the North Sea. This is called Architects of the West Kingdom. Hmm. It looks like... Okay, so I watched Rado play it, and from all I can tell, if he played it correctly, it looks like you're you're trying to build a kingdom, so it's very more it's more Euro-y than the pirate themes, like farming and resource management and all that. But you can also kidnap people and put them in a holding cell on your player board. And then you can turn them into the authorities and send them to jail to get money. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of a mean game. So I don't know how I feel about it. I, I thought it looked cool, but then it kind of turned me off when I saw you could get arrested and stuff. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I I The first half of this description, I was like salivating. I was like, oh, yes, sweet. 
And then after the kidnapping thing, I thought, oh, that's an interesting take. And then what I figured out was like kind of a gotcha mechanism almost. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, the game looks fun just in spite of that, but I don't know. I'd just rather play Raiders of the North Sea, I think. Yeah. Uh Garpful Games, is that what his name or Garfield Games? Uh is that the same company that originally did Raiders? Like, is he able to or is this a new thing that he started to do this? Because I know what is it Renegade took over Raiders of the North Sea? Right. Is that right? Yeah, Ra- I think Raider um Renegade is doing like the American distribution or something. And oh. Garfield is the other, like everywhere else. But the version I have is actually Garfield. So I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know how the Renegade and Garfield partnership works together. Well, that's cool. Probably about like, uh, I don't know, Stronghold and the company I can't really pronounce that Plan B bought. Oh, yeah. It has a little fox for the logo. Eggert Spiel. So, yeah, there yeah. you go. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking at a game right now that has it on it. So, yeah. Jason's the head of pronunciations here at <laughs> Board Game Mechanics. <laughs> yeah, I do what I can. <laughs> All right. Um, the next game I wanted to talk about is interesting to me because of one person's name on it. And that is the game is Dragon Keepers. And the designers are Vital and Katarina Lacerda, which is interesting. Is that his daughter, wife? Yeah, it's his daughter. Mother? It's his daughter. It said it on the Kickstarter page. Huh. It looks like this is a little push-your-luck game that he helped his daughter. Well, I, it seems like his daughter designed it and he put his name on it, you know, because he's Vidal Lacerda. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it has really beautiful artwork. Uh, the premise seems interesting, but I think I looked at it today or yesterday and it wasn't even like halfway funded, which is crazy because I thought for sure anything with Vital's name on it would just fund like in the first 10 minutes, but... Maybe not on Kickstarter though. You know what I mean? That's true. That's true. Unless he has, unless he has miniature dragons and miniature keepers <laughs> in there. Yeah, there's none of that. <laughs> no, no miniatures, just cards and dice. I, I mean, it's pretty cheap too. Well, not cheap, like twenty twenty five bucks. Yeah, that's that's fairly cheap for a Kickstarter though. Yeah, that's true. I don't remember when it said it was going to deliver. I just looked at it a little bit because it wasn't something I'm going to back. But it it does seem fun, and yeah. Well, I like a lot of designers do this. They have their kid put a game out with them. Um, I know right off the top of my head this one, and then I know Philip DeBerry, who I am. Listen, I'm becoming a fanboy. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, his daughter put out a game, and I think he helped with it called Tiger Stripes, that is still out there that you can get, and by all accounts, is a pretty decent game. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then my son made a game, and I kind of helped him refine it, but he took like this is back in 2000. 11 12 when he was like nine or ten years old he um maybe 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 yeah nine years old probably back in 2013 so he took a Catan tile and got a piece of poster board and he traced a hex grid on there and then he like put some like lily pads on some random ones and then he figured out like with a little help for me on this part how to do the algorithm to have each of the hex sides have a one through a six on it and then they wouldn't ever repeat like so like each shared side between the hexes had a number on it mm-hmm. and then you rolled a six-sided die and like that was how you could move so like if you rolled a six you could go through the one and then like the next the next one's five to try and do movement and it was all about moving where these flies randomly showed up at so like the flies had like this way to generate like where they'd randomly show up on certain lily pads and so you were trying to like hop from lily pad to lily pad and get these flies and whoever got the most flies won and it was kind of a cool movement mechanic that like if you rolled a three you could go through the two and the one or the one and the two or through the three and so anyway that was his game that he made when he was like 
nine or ten, and I probably should have actually done something with it, but <laughs> like a, adorable kid on Kickstarter thing, you know, or whatever. So yeah, you could have made a killing for sure. <laughs> Maybe, and it was actually not a bad game. So I don't know. He's he's been designing different games ever since, mostly dexterity games. But yeah, I mean, like I think it's awesome that these kids are already starting to design games when they're like below 10 years old by the time they're adults they're going to be putting out insane designs right yeah so i agree i mean i, I don't i hope this game funds i don't not necessarily it's not for me because i'd rather play gallerist or something but i mean this definitely seems like a fun game and it seems cool for families and maybe little kids so yeah, yeah i hope it does well and i think it's cool that Vidal is helping his daughter out with a fun game a gateway game for little kids maybe yeah yeah because in the description it says that it gives specific rules to play with kids and then it says some things to do if you're playing just adults. So it almost seems like it's just a kid's game that they're trying to, that his daughter came up with. Well, cool. I, I haven't looked at that one at all, but I think that's something I may check out. I mean, I don't know that I'll back it, but I have enough curiosity about it that I'll look at it for sure. Yeah, I, I think everybody should check it out and see what it's up, see what's up with it. At least look at the, the cool artwork because it's really pretty. Cool. All right. Um, the last game I have is called The Primary. And this is by Mountaintop Games, which I, again, I didn't do my research and figure out if they'd done anything else. But the designer is Matt Kwok. And I, I, again, didn't do the research, so bad on me, I guess. But this is essentially, um, you're, it's an area control game where you're running a primary. So each player is playing four cards down. They're kind of programming the actions that they want to take. And then they're all going to flip their first card and they're going to take that action. Then they're going to flip their second card and take that action. And then every so many rounds, there's going to be a vote in certain states. And you want to win the vote to get the most points. It actually seems like a pretty authentic primary like simulation. And the more I watched on it yesterday, the more I was really into it. Huh. Like I, I seriously kind of want to back this game. It's that interesting to me. I'm definitely going to have to check this one out. Because that of the three you talked about today, that's, this one seems... The most like, oh, it made the list because it's an awesome game. <laughs> yeah, I agree. For sure. Yeah, because like, it doesn't look that great. I don't know if that's final art or not. It doesn't look interesting. But the gameplay is really cool with the trying to... Because there's some cards you can play that if you play more than everybody else, you're going to get a pile of points. But if you don't play more than other people, then you've just wasted those, those cards and you didn't get to do anything. So you're kind of trying to get in other people's heads and trying to get, you know, put bad... bad campaign ads out on other people while positive campaign ads on yourself to get more influence on the board it's really interesting and i'm actually the more i'm talking about it now i kind of just want to go on kickstarter and click back what was the price point on this one and how many days do we have left uh, roughly i think it's pretty new so i think it still has like 30 or something and i think it was 35 dollars if i remember correctly reasonable yeah and i think that included shipping actually I have three brief things of news I want to talk about. And there's only one on the sheet. Jason loves it when I do this. <laughs> um, while, we're talking about, while we're talking about Kickstarters, just on the off chance that people don't listen to this whole episode, um, which you absolutely should, because this is an episode that I think I'm pretty proud of. Um, I want to mention Rice Dice. If you're listening to this late enough in March, will likely be on Kickstarter too, which is the uh, Spirits of the Rice Patty uh, dice game. And it looks like they took a lot of the richness from the card play in that game and put it into a really sleek, quick package. So um, I think that one looks amazing. I know you're looking forward to that one, too, probably as a big fan of, of uh, Spirits, oh, yeah. the original game. Totally. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm not going to give anything else away. But yes, that does seem like an interesting game. 
Yeah, for sure. So if you don't listen to the rest of this episode, at least look for that on Kickstarter because I think that's one that you won't see hype because I don't know, that brand's not a hype machine like other things are, but it's a just good quality game machine. So um, that's the one. The other one I would talk about, this isn't even a Kickstarter, but this is like, I don't know, I'm going to be a little critical here. Um, God Tear, I think is what the name of the game is. I was reading about this. Um, it was between $150 and $250 for this game, but not even for this game, for the opportunity to play test this game. So like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people are being critical of these early release or Kickstarter type campaigns that they're really capitalizing on people's fear of missing out. And this felt like really a big deal towards that. I mean, like people had a chance to feel significant as a play tester, but it was a pay to play test kind of situation, which is kind of weird um, to start with that. You're paying 150 to 250 bucks to get a kit to play test a game for someone else. Um, so you're doing them a favor trying to help them design their game, but you're paying them for miniatures and things, which is kind of a weird premise for me anyway. I don't know that I would participate in it anyway, but then the other thing too is I think people were under the impression that this was going to be going on for months. Like they would get access to this game for months before other people did and they would get months of gameplay out of this system. Well, it turns out the, the kits went out back in January or February and that they're looking at an early April Kickstarter date for this. And the one guy who posted about this um, said the game is so far from complete that he can't believe it's going to Kickstarter. They don't have rules for terrain. They don't have rules for how to handle just a lot of different situations. So I don't know. This is just one of those things with growth in an industry like board games. There's going to be some stories about things that people don't like. The other thing, too, is like I'm hearing one person's perspective on it. So I think this is Stormforged Games or something like that that put this game out. Uh, yeah, Stormforged Games. So if they want, if they hear this and they want to come out and you know tell their side of the story, I would love to hear it. But the side of the story I heard just sounded like one of those stories of like, I don't know, are we growing up too fast in this industry that stuff like this is happening and people are interested in it? Or am I just old-fashioned and not cool enough to want miniatures that bad or whatever? I don't know. It's, uh, it's a weird situation. So... I don't know. Did you? I, I think I tipped you off a little bit that to that today. Did you get a chance to look at that at all? Uh, I'm actually, I'm actually looking at it right now while you were talking about it. And yeah, it says 150 bucks. They're going to start shipping them out on February 12th, and you have to put all the miniatures together. You have to download all the rules, print it all out yourself. Yeah, and it's just a ridiculous play test. That you you have to put stickers on the face of the die too. Yeah, everything you have to do yourself. So you're paying them money to do their job for them. That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just because you want to be significant in this game's development, you know, you're paying for the opportunity for that. And the other thing too, is I think that people were kind of under the impression that they would get some kind of exclusive or some kind of deal on the Kickstarter when the Kickstarter did come out. And I'm not sure they're getting that either. So again, uh, SFG, Steamforged Games, if you guys want to contact us, um, I mean, you can contact me, Joel at bgmechanics.com. Um, I would love to do an interview with you guys or talk to you guys and hear your side of it. But I know they took some criticism this week on a couple online outlets. So just another one of those things that's happening. I think it would just be, you know, I, I mean, we can't report all the all the roses and no thorns, you know. Right. So um, this was a thorn that came out this week. So and I kind of see where they're coming from. I mean, I haven't heard, like I said, the other side of the story. And I'm eager to hear the other side of the story to understand what their thoughts were and why this was a good thing for the gaming community. Um, but in my perception, it doesn't seem like it was a great thing at this time. 
Yeah, I agree. I was talking to Katie about this a little in the car, and I thought, you know, if you want somebody to play test your game and they're paying money for it, they're automatically going to have a skewed opinion because they don't want to pay 150 bucks for a game that's not great. Right. So right. you're doing no one a favor by having them pay you, which is ridiculous, to play a game that you want that should be getting played for free so that you can get valid opinions. I, it's just crazy. You'll hear a bunch of confirmation bias, basically, if people are paying to do it. Yeah. It, it feels like. Right. Like, so the only people who are interested are people who are super interested to the point where they'll pay money to get an early version. The final thing I want to talk about, Jason, is something that's just kind of fun that we've been doing on the Riveted, hashtag the Riveted group on Facebook. And that's um, the Quantum Foundry, I think is the name of it. <laughs> it has a little test you can take. <laughs> yeah. If you go to the Riveted page, you can see Jason's diagram, my diagram, Katie's diagram. I think Kim's diagram, too. So most of the key contributors to this this show uh, and this brand, um, we all did it. It gives you these cool diagrams that show what your kind of composition as a board gamer is. Mine, I felt, was really strong into like Euro-y, um, not so like much thematic stuff, even for who I am. And that is like definitely, if I would have taken this before I started gaming with you, Jason, it would have been way less so that way. Right. But then I saw yours and it looked like a sail, <laughs> like from a sailboat or something, because yeah. it's all on that side, it's like, like entirely. It's like a straight line almost. <laughs> yeah. You have like zero interest in anything else but that, it seems. So Yeah, I took it. I was like, that is crazy. It's so funny. <laughs> but the crazy thing is the game recommendations they give you on this are really good. Yeah. So like I was looking through the top 10 that they recommended for me. And it was like all games that I'm either really strongly interested in or games that I own and enjoy. And it just doesn't know I own and enjoy those games. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's just pretty cool that they're able to, with a few questions, um, tag you as a certain kind of gamer and give you some strong suggestions and like let you know what your style kind of tends to be. Um, I might take this again in a few months and see if it changes at all. But it's kind of cool that we finally have eHarmony for board games. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That is that is kind of what it feels like. Like you're ninety seven percent you're ninety seven percent compatible with Vital Lacerda. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you should go on a date with Kanban. Swipe right. So Yeah. Ah, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, that's uh that's the news. And uh thanks Jason for all your work on that. So, Jason, what did you get played this last week, weekend, that is worth talking about on the show today? All right. So, the first game I'm going to talk about is an old game. And, like, this legitimately is old. I think it's from 2005 or something. Maybe even older than that. Right. But that's Ink and Gold. And your edition in particular is old. You have the awesome old Fun Again Games yeah, edition of it. It is. You have to fold the card to turn it into a tent. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. So, I played this. I played this four times this weekend. And I played it at three players twice and seven players twice. Oh, that's a very different game. Yeah, like three players. I was like, man, I'm getting so much gold. Both the games that I played at seven players, I had a, I had five gems, and then I had six gems. It's so, it's so hard with so many people. It's so hard. I like this game a lot. Um, it's a part of the bookshelf series. I think you, they call it Eagle Griffin calls it the yeah. one that for sales in and gem dealer. Right. Um, so I have that version. I actually had the Fun Again Games version at one point. 
Um, and then this is like the only real true thrift store find that I've ever had is that actually my mom found this at a thrift store and was like, oh, I thought you might like this game. And I was like, oh, awesome. I already have it, but the tents in this one are a little cooler. Right. So I upgraded mine and traded the old one away, but there's their gameplay's identically. So I do love this game. Um, it's the, if you want to tell someone what the push your luck mechanic is, like demonstrate the purest version of what push your luck is, like this is the game you play. Like, it's absolutely just what push your luck should be. So I'm with you. I think it's a great game. Yeah, I played it with some, well, the first three-player game was just me and people I always game with. But the second two with the seven people were at my church for a men's, like, board gaming night. And there were a bunch of people there that don't even play any games. Like, they're the most fancy game they've played is code names. So oh boy. I busted this out and they were like, dude, this is so good. And like the, the older guy that was there, he's like, we need to play that again. Cause he, <laughs> he loved it. I was like, you have two cards. You're either going to go deeper or you're going to run away. Your choice. And this is, this is the one that was designed by Alan Moon and Bruno Fiduti, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It's so good. I mean, like when we were doing our designers, our favorite designers of all time, this is the fact that this and airlines Europe, Slash Union Pacific and Ticket to Ride are all Alan Moon games. Like, almost tempted me to put them on my list, honestly. But it's just, I don't know, man. It's such a just sleek, cool little design. Our inside joke on it is um, whenever we're flipping over cards and one of like the like treasure cards comes out, like the, you can get those like certain like totems or whatever. Right. Um, that aren't just points. We like, sh- we like the person who's dealing cards has to like hold the card up so everyone can see it and go, this is the one coming out. Pay attention. This one, the gingerbread man is coming out <laughs> because it doesn't matter at all right. whatsoever. Yeah. Like they're just totally abstract treasures, but <laughs> yeah. like we act like it matters. Like, Oh, the gingerbread man. Okay. I got to make sure I know where it's at. You know, I mean, right? So yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah. And the guy does look like a gingerbread man, if I remember right. The one guy does. Yeah, it does so. kind of. Yeah. Then there's like a, a pot or something. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great game, though. Absolutely great game. It really is. My my first game is going to be in the same category of like lighter games that I played. Um, so Kokoro is the one I played. I had a lot of luck with Harvest Dice and my wife kind of enjoying that one. And with a couple people, I just played Harvest Dice and was just they, they were just like, Oh, that's a cool little game. So Kokoro is uh, another roll and write game without dice, if that makes sense. Um, it used to be called Avenue, was the original printing of it. And then Indie Boards and Cards put it out with like, I don't know, a slight theme of like an emperor or something. I don't know, like and gathering caterpillars. I, it's, it's a weird theme, but the game mechanically plays the same as Avenue with a couple little twists on it, from what I understand. And basically the way how this game works is... Um, you flip a card over and everyone uses the same card to do something, but like you have like a grid of like maybe 60 different spots, maybe a little more than that even. And you draw this shape in one of your grids and it just is any grid you want to draw it in. And the thing is there's, there's regular cards and then there's like these gold cards. And once four of these gold cards flip over, then you score one of the little monuments that you're, that you find out at the beginning of that round is going to score. So it's kind of a push your luck thing almost too, of like you're hoping those gold cards don't flip out before you're able to connect that little like outhouse looking building in with the caterpillars. Um, It sounds like the most crazy game ever, but they really are like little outhouses that you hook up with like caterpillars. (laughs) So with little paths. So um, it's just kind of a cool little game because you're trying to be strategic and think, oh man, I've got to get this outhouse prepped for the next round or whatever. 
Um, so like on your turn, you're trying to, you know, strategically figure out where to put this path at. But then the other thing too that happens in this game is you cannot write down a shape one time and look at what the next the next hut is that's gonna score. So that's kind of a big advantage that you know, okay, start working this path towards this other thing. Um, and the other thing that makes this actually a game, like I kind of explained like a doodling activity. Um, but what makes this kind of a game is that you have to increase your score on each one of the huts. So if we know we're going to do hut D first and I scored six points on it, well, then I know that I need to score at least seven points on, you know, hut F or whatever the next hut is that we're going to have flip over. So it's a neat little game. Uh, I would endorse it for being like a decent little $12 filler game. Um, it's got cool little dry erase boards in it, too, so you don't have to worry about using up your notepad of like writing pads or whatever that roll and write games have sometimes. So that was Kokoro. Yeah, I think that game is set in the same universe as that Kodama, the Tree Spirits game. Because mm. I played that Kodama game, and the same little character that's on the box of Kokoro is the character that's in that game. The little white, weird-looking thing. Marshmallow with legs yeah. <laughs> that chases caterpillars or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right, so the next game I played is actually a game I don't have. But my wife and I are so crazy that on our anniversary, we decided to go to a board game cafe and just get away from our kids for a little while. And we played Yamatai. Yes. But you've talked about that before. And it's the Days of Wonder, Bruno Catala, Mark Pacquian game. And this game, essentially what you're doing in this game is you're picking a tile that's also going to be turn order based on low to high number. And it's going to give you a resource, which is a boat. And then it's going to give you a special power that you may use. Then in your turn, you're going to place some boats out in between some islands and then based on what color boat you put out, you can build on that island if you meet a criteria and the island is vacant. Or you can collect little culture tokens to recruit specialists that give you awesome powers and points. And it's yeah. just, it's really straightforward. It's really simple. But man, it burns your brain a little bit when you're trying to put those boats out and get certain colors around the board and not set your opponent up to make a huge build one of those five, six point special buildings. Oh man, it's such a good game. It's, it is a neat game. Um, the other things that kind of make it a little more convoluted and weird are that some of the resources you can't trade. Um, sometimes like, I think it's gold. You can't trade with ships. Right. Yeah. Is it, is it gold? And then, um, and then there's mountains on a few spaces too, which kind of affect like how your ability to build is and like the scoring on it and stuff like that too. So right. those randomly place every time too. So, I, I definitely like it. It's a game that, I don't know. I, I'll trade it for your copy of The Gallerist, Jason. How about that? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But I do think, like, Katie asked me if I thought, if or maybe I asked her, I said, do you like Five Tribes of Yamatai better? And then I got thinking, well, do I like Five Tribes of Yamatai better? And at first I thought I liked Five Tribes, but Yamatai keeps sticking with me, and I really want to play it again. So I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a tough because they're not even really that similar, but because they're Bruno Catala, they get lumped as like Yamatai being a sequel to Five Tribes or whatever. I've thought about that a ton too. They do get compared all the time, and I'm not sure why. And they're mechanically very different games. Yeah. I mean, like there's some path and routing kind of stuff in both. Um, and the amount of like you kind of have to plan ahead is present in both those games, but like. I think what it is is the color palette and art style is similar enough. And then you get those little workers that can kind of help you. And you get the gens in Five Tribes right, that yeah. kind of help you. So that's true. I think that's where the similarities kind of end at. But 
the feel of the game is similar weight maybe it might be like i don't know if you were gonna rate them on a weight scale like five tribes would be like i don't know a 2.5 and uh and yamata is a 2.48 you know i mean it's not like there's a huge difference in weight either so yeah. i don't know I, I i like yamata a lot um too and this was our this was our paired up um Asian themed games, I guess. I don't know. So, <laughs> hey, I, the next one's an Asian themed game too. So, kind of. Yeah. So, sort of. So you you uh, if you find Yamatai on a daily deal or on clearance, it's going to be on your watch list. Then, huh? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, I mean, we got we already put it on our Amazon list, waiting for it to go on sale. It's it's so good. I uh, man, we should talk off air because I don't know that I like love my copy of that game as much as you love it. So. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, all right. maybe not. It's worth us both owning too, and putting on the next. We both own it list. Right. Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. <laughs> we'll figure <laughs> it out. So my next game, Jason. This is um, you're smart and I'm stupid. You're attractive and I'm not very handsome. <laughs> you were right and I was wrong. Now uh, that was my attempt to try and do the Happy Gilmore thing, but like. <laughs> Voyages of Marco Polo, you were like, dude, just play it. Like, I know it has too much yellow and orange on the cover. Yes. And I know that it looks like um, someone who's like partway through art school drew Marco Polo um, <laughs> before he totally figured out how to draw faces. But like... Right. Yes. All of that. It's an amazing game. I seriously love this game. After just one play, I picked it up on the St. Patrick's Day or something sale on CSI. Yeah. And after just one play, I was like... Okay, this is a top ten in my in my favorite games list, and we played it wrong. So I mean, that's how much I like it. So it's just such a good system, man. Yeah, like so good. The way you can have to stack dice on top of other dice, like not only does it look cool, but the way that the taxing works is incredible too. So no no space is really blocked out. You just have to have extra money if you want to go there. I think that is genius, so- and I love it. Like the brown spaces are blocked, but the blue spaces you can stack, right? Right. Is that yeah, how that works? Yeah, that one emperor track, the yellow one at the bottom. Yeah, you can't stack on that, but everything else you can stack on. And then like cities. And I the cities, yeah. And the to. cities, yeah. yeah. So, okay, here's my question about the tax. This is where we played it wrong. The guy who taught it to me owns it, and he just bought the expansion. Um, and he hasn't played it with the expansion, and he hasn't played it for like a year. So he wasn't quite totally sure on some of the rules. And we didn't take the time to learn it because it was the last game of the night. So it was one of those situations. Right. But the way how we played is like when you had to use a pair of dice, you only got the lower value of the two dice. So like if I wanted to travel, you have to put two dice on there, like a th- like a three and a four. Right. Well, I'd get the three value for the traveling. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then we also played that you have to put higher dice on there. Is that how you do it, or do you just have to pay the face value of your dice? Yeah, you can put anything that you want on top. You pay the face value of the lowest die Oh, as okay. the tax. Yeah. Okay, so that's where we played it wrong, and it kind of messed up my game a little. Like, I did the best I could with what I had, but, like, they kept... The one guy who had the sixes, like the pair of sixes, mm-hmm. or can just put his stuff on sixes, like, would put his die on movement with a pair of sixes... And then that just totally blocked out movement. So none of us could move. Yeah. So that, the only way you can move is by completing little like letter patch, letter contract things. Right. Yeah. And then, and then he gets to be first player every time because whoever the last player to go to that spot is gets first player. So like it messed our game up pretty bad. But even with that, I really liked it. And I played as Marco Polo, which is like 
it felt like I was playing as like Mario. Like I felt like he was like the main character in the game and like everything was designed around him. <laughs> right. Yeah. But just the fact that you always get one extra die was cool because like I'd go in the middle and then everyone else would go after me and be like, Oh, I have another die. Look at this. This is cool. Um, so that was pretty awesome. And you start off with an extra contract, which doesn't sound like a lot, but going to get a contract is an action. So you get a free action almost early in the game, right. which is pretty important. So I lost by a few points, but man, I just love that game. Like I would like, it's, uh, you know, it's late enough on a, on a night where I have to work in the morning. Like I would consider driving to, to your house two and a half hours away to play that game and then driving home. That's a slight <laughs> exaggeration, but like, I just really love that game. It I really just, is that good. Yeah. I, I have the urge to play it so badly. Like I have probably five, five games that I haven't played yet that I'm super eager to play. But I would say forget all those games. I want to play Marco Polo again. Just Voyages of Marco Polo is so good. I am with you, Jason. I fully endorse this game. Was this number two on your top 100? Uh, it's up there. Yeah, I think it's number two. It's either number two or number three. I can't remember, but it's it's high up. It's going to be in my top 10, too. It's just that right weight where you have to think and make important decisions, but not heavy enough that you feel like you're paralyzed with having to, like, analyze the board to death and need a dry erase board behind you to like plot out your different actions you can do, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, like it's just that right heavy punching weight, you know, love right. it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, another thing I like, I really like about it is I like the character that lets you drop trading post off as you're moving. Oh yeah. Like every time I can play with that guy. Oh man, I love it. You get the two extra trading posts too, which is kind of cool. And you just drop them off. You don't have to stop. You just move and move and move and move around. Oh, that guy's amazing. Yeah, the guy I played with says every time he won the game, if he didn't have that character and he won, he had to just pretty much completely ignore his routes, right. like his trade routes. Like he was like, forget it. It's just too hard because you can't – like the game is so short too that you can't ever go someplace that's not totally efficient for where you need to drop drop your little huts at right. in order to get your roots completed. So, I mean, like I get that and like, I didn't even make it to Beijing. So like, of course my movement was totally blocked, but even with movement being totally blocked, using the bazaar was like so fun and so cool that I was like completing contracts, just doing that. Of course, the other guy had the guy who's like, give me a good, please. Thank you for the free gold. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, and like, uh, he was so smug about it. He's like, listen, the only reason why I'm being smug is as you play this game more, you'll find that whoever plays this character gets totally smug about the free goods <laughs> they get. So, yeah, I, I probably would be too, honestly. So, yeah, it's a good game. I totally agree with your choice. All right. So last night I played a game about making dresses with my wife called Rococo. And uh, I, I know this is a game that you're a little hesitant on with the theme, but I was hopeful for you that I was like, oh, you found a copy of Predaporter. Awesome. <laughs> no, I wish. Yeah. No, but in spite of the theme, even if you're not a fan of the theme, the mechanisms in this game are amazing. So basically what it is is you're trying to make dresses. So basically you're turning in goods to fulfill a contract. And then you're put, you, you take that dress that you made. You can either sell it for money or you can put it in the ballroom to score points at the end of the game. There's like six rooms in the ball, and you're trying to get area area majorities in those rooms for some huge points. Then you're also trying to build these statues that are going to help you get income throughout the game. And then at the very top, there's like a fireworks row that if you can pay for some of those, it's going to turn your dresses that are in the top row of the ballroom for like two or three times the point value. So you can get a ton of points at the top by funding some fireworks. And then you can also use your master seems 
Stir or seamstress, however, whatever a guy is, tailor, I guess. You can use him and he can hire other, other workers, which are cards that go into your available actions pool. So it's kind of like a deck builder, but you always have access to all the cards. You can look through the cards at any time you want at the beginning of a turn to draw three. So you don't have to shuffle and just randomly draw. You can look through and say, okay, I want this one, this one, and this one this turn. And then you just put them back down and then take those three actions. I, huh, I, I, I think I play this one, Jason. It's, it's really good. And it's super fast. It takes like an hour, maybe. It's not long. It doesn't outstay its welcome. You're just getting into it and then it's over. Um, it's really good. Yeah. So, uh, Voyages of Marco Polo is the last game I was super hesitant to play that you endorsed. And you probably give it like a 9.5 out of 10 or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Where's Rococo at? Uh, it's, to me, it's not as good as Marco Polo, but, I mean, it's still a solid eight. It's yeah. It's probably my go-to light midweight game. I mean, light to me. It's probably not light to everybody else, but it's light-ish to me. So if I'm going to bust that out with new people, I bust out a game of new people, I'd probably pick Rococo or something like that. Well, that's somebody who's played, you know, Racco, but like this is the next step for them, kind of thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's the one step after Uno. Then you're gonna bust out some Rococo. You play Candyland, huh? Well, this is just like it. It has colors in it too. It's called Fresco. So anyway, yep. It, it's uh, it's like you said last episode. Revolutions become your gateway game because if people can put up with that game and like feel okay at the end, you know they're tough enough to play games with you. So I mean, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a good test. Well, anyway, speaking of uh, speaking of um, revolution, we'll talk about another game by that same designer, Black Orchestra, which I talked about last week a little, but I want to talk about my experience with it this weekend. I played with a full crew on it, a full set of people, and this game went so much longer than any other game that I played. Um, it went all the way to the seventh round, but this game was so cool because in the second round, we were totally ready to pull off a plot, like completely ready. We just were ready, and... and uh, we had to wait until the seventh round of just trying to survive and not go to prison and keep our suspicion low. So it's like pandemic, this game, a cooperative game. If you don't know a lot about Black Orchestra, listen to our previous episode. I'm going to just say that to really get <laughs> caught up on it. Right. But um, Or listen to the rest of this episode, I guess. But um, it's like pandemic with the mechanisms where you choose actions, but it has better mechanisms than pandemic. And then the other thing that this thing, this game does that pandemic doesn't do is like pandemic. Once you get the set of four cards, then you're just like, Hey, I got this thing. We're done. We can call it good. You know, um, once you get to a little, well, can you get a little like CDC building or whatever? Um, on this one, it's like you can have everything ready to go, but like you have an opponent in the game that's like formidable, and like you have to wait until your opponent weakens and gives you an opportunity to do it. Because there are certain conditions that have to exist on the board for most of these plots to work, but then also like you have you're rolling against the military strength of of Hitler, and so you have to wait for that Hitler's Hitler strength to drop. And there are certain ways to do it that are really neat. Uh, with like some mechanisms in the game, but just it's a lot of just kind of waiting out and buying time until you can find the right time to do it. So, Black Orchestra, we played again, and it just was a great experience again. So, fully gonna endorse it. Now I'm gonna come full circle here, Jason, and just say um, if you like the games we talk about or you think we have an okay taste in games, we've started something on our Facebook page and and on our group, The Riveted, um, where we're putting games into the Hall of Fame. And so. Um, 
this guy that we're going to have a segment up here, Philip DeBerry, I can't think of a better guy for us to have our inaugural game into our our Brewing Game Mechanics Hall of Fame than uh, Revolution. So that was a good choice. Jason kind of came up with the idea, and I wholeheartedly agreed. Revolution's our first game in the Board Game Mechanics Hall of Fame. Congratulations, Philip. Congratulations, Revolution, on a prize or Hall of Fame that doesn't matter. But I mean, like, uh, I fully feel like that game's one of the ones that I think the criteria for a Hall of Fame game is that nine nine people out of ten, when they play it, will enjoy it. Um, and five people out of ten will go, that's really good, you know? So, and I think Revolution definitely does that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there were some other games I thought about, but yeah, every, I don't think, I, I've only played that game three times and every single time. No one said anything bad about it. So, I mean, that's pretty Hall of Fame worthy to me. Yeah, totally. Totally and completely agree with you, Jason. Um, and then the other one, too, that there's another... Your your wife made a really cool post on the Riveted that... You need to go join the group to see this, okay? Because I'm not going to spoil it. But she's like basically stated publicly what you and I have believed in our hearts this whole time, that it's the mission of this podcast to make Revolution a game that's like well-known and like an awesome game that people are like, Oh, this game's great. And it's popular. So she has another game that we need to popularize that. I think you and I are the only people who own copies in the United States too. Um, but I don't know that we've mentioned that on the game hardly at all. So <laughs> on the podcast at all. So we'll start building towards that before we put it in the hall of fame. Uh, right. But yeah. Go, go see if you can find that post on the riveted guys. Well, anyway, Jason, um, anything else before we move into our, our feature here? No, I mean, probably if this, if we recorded a few hours later, I would have been able to talk about role player again, but that didn't happen. So we'll leave it at, <laughs> at what it is. Yeah. Uh, and if this happened a few hours later, I won't be able to talk about Sagrada anymore because I'm trading my copy after having full hearted belief that, yeah, this, this won't release before I get my, rid of my copy of Sagrada. <laughs> Ro- role player is the dice placement game you want. Dice drafting and placement game you want. I right, mean, not Sagrada. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another controversial hot take for you guys here on the, <laughs> on the podcast. So, I I agree with it though. It's 100% true. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Uh so we have a really special treat for you guys. Uh Jason had did a nice interview with um who did you do the interview with, Jason? It was Adam Rayberg with um Adam's Apple Games for Sword Crafters, the game that I don't know if it's still on Kickstarter. It might be, but it was last week. <laughs> Yeah, and if you missed it, it dropped between episodes. But it's a nice little interview. Um, some fun, zany stuff in there. That word zany again, sneaking its way into the podcast. <laughs> but it was a good interview. And I mean, like, it was really neat to hear him talk about, you know, his his love for this game, some of the plans they have for it, and just kind of get to hear from the designer themselves um, what makes this game great. And so we got another chance to, thanks largely to Jason's uh, maneuvering on social media and ability to befriend anyone on a level where they call him his best friend they're they call jason their best friend so uh <laughs> so at any rate we were able to get an interview with uh philip DeBerry. uh i was actually jason like let me have this one which is amazing so um i got a chance to talk to philip uh virtually in this online meeting room and i kind of wish i was hanging out with him watching tv and eating popcorn with his family but um I did get a chance to just kind of hang out with him online and what a great guy. What a great interview without any more talking. This is what you guys probably came to this episode to hear anyway. Uh, an interview with Philip DeBerry. I'm here with uh, Philip DeBerry. 
And uh, I think, Philip, you have the uh, unfortunate distinction of being what I would call the uh, most underrated game designer in modern board game design, <laughs> which I guess is kind of a mixed blessing there a little bit. Um, I really do love all your game designs. I think they're all really excellent. Um, but I, I don't know that you're uh, quite in that felt category yet. I, yeah. I think you will be with some of your upcoming projects and some of the stuff I've been playing lately. Um, but I think, uh, man, it's just a crime that Revolution, for one, is not more played than it is. But anyway, some, some games that you guys may know Philip from include uh, Black Orchestra, which is pretty hot right now, Revolution that I just mentioned, Cordier, uh, Spirits of the Rice Paddy, um, Kingdom of Solomon, Battle Cruisers, and then we've got a couple upcoming games coming up here too, Philip, with uh, Embark and Rice Dice. And I guess I'm pretty excited to talk to you about Rice Dice. Um, I, I have played a little of the uh, Spirits of the Rice Paddy, and Rice Dice looks like it's a really cool implementation of that with a sort of a I guess just addition of dice and making it a little more streamlined. Uh, what else can you tell me about that? No, yeah, it's um, it's it definitely tries to um, first of all thank thanks for all the the kind words. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, no, a um, spirits of the rice patty is you know about an hour and a half kind of pretty heavy experience, and um, so with the dice game it gets a, it's about forty five minutes to an hour or something like that, and yeah. usually less than an hour. And, uh, and yet you get to do a lot of the same things that you do in the board game, but it's all kind of condensed down and, and it's on a lot fewer cards. But we've been able to retain a lot of the feeling of the, uh, the bigger game, but just kind of in a smaller time. Obviously, not everything comes over, but uh, enough so that you can get a really good taste of it. Yeah, I, I looked at a preview of this um, and... First thing that struck me was the size of the dice that they had in the prototype. Uh, it just looked like nice, chunky, high-quality dice. So that really got me excited to start with. And then one part in Spirits of the Rice Paddy that I think really makes that game is the card play. And I feel like you were able to keep that part of the game really present in Rice Dice, it, it seems. Right, yeah. And that, I think that was important. You know, it is Spirits of the Rice Paddy. So it's like that's that's an important element. And getting all those those special abilities to kind of jive with one another, I think, is is a big part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, when does that go live on Kickstarter? All I know is the end of March sometime. So I'm not exactly sure what day it is, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen before April. Okay, so look for that yet this month, and I will definitely be looking for that. The uh, The only mixed emotions I have about that is it looks like a really rich game uh, to play that can I can toss in my like luggage this summer for vacation, and I don't think I'll quite get my copy for summer vacation, but it, it'll be there for summer vacation 2019, I guess. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it really does look like a really great game. Um, is there... Is there uh, I mean, has this been in development for, for quite a while or is this something that just kind of, yeah, no, well, I mean, it's, it's been at least, it's been a, at least a, a year or two. Um, now we've not been like working on it every single day of that time, but, um, I, we first started talking about it. I, I really feel like it was like a year and a half or two years ago, something like that. And then we just kind of keep coming back to it and refining and playing more and refining. And, and now this last uh, six months or so, we've really been able to kind of focus and, and um, even even now we're making just these last little fine tuning um, uh, little little tweaks to it and uh, to get it all nice and ready for uh, the Kickstarter. One other really nice thing about this game, too, is it feels like you were able to get the whole team back together. So Spirits of the Rice Paddy has a feel and look to it. And that's very present in Rice Dice as well. 
Uh, pretty obvious that you guys use the same kind of care and love towards this game that you did Spirits of the Rice Batty, for yeah, sure. Every, everybody that was involved in the first game is on for this one, too. So, yeah, that's been nice. Fantastic. Uh, now, when people mention Philip DeBerry, I think pretty quickly after that, people mention Revolution. Uh, I think that's still probably your, your opus at this point, although I'm going to guess. I'm making a prediction here for you. I think Black Orchestra is going to be... A huge hit for you, by the way. Uh, I, I really do. I just love that could game. Be, but more about that later. I'll, I'll, I'll rant about it for like 20 minutes when we're not in this interview later in this episode, probably. So I, I just tend to do that every week because I just love that game. But uh, Revolution's kind of where it all started for you then, I, I believe. Uh, if I remember correctly, if I was reading through like some of the information that I I've, was able to find about you, uh, that you basically were selling this as a self-published game and Steve Jackson kind of caught wind of it and, and it became kind of what it is now is that about accurate yeah that's pretty close yeah i was i um this was like about 10 years ago or so now and uh so uh this is the this is the first game i ever made that other people actually wanted to play uh which was (laughs) pretty amazing for me so i knew something special was happening so um i uh, i bought a bunch of materials and handmade like 30 copies of this game which is just ridiculous but that's what i did and (laughs) sold them on the internet and uh, Phil Reed from Steve Jackson Games happened to buy one. I had no idea who he was. I barely knew who Steve Jackson Games was. And he calls me up and says, we'd like to make your game. So I've, I've since learned that, that really just doesn't happen. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. Well, and then Steve Jackson, too, is a really unlikely company, it feels like, to publish a, a Euro game like that. Um, it doesn't really match their brand much. And so I know I've introduced this game to people. And they've, they've gone out and bought copies because they thought it was such a great game. And they said, man, I'm really glad you introduced that to me because just the Steve Jackson name on the box was a deterrent to me. And I mean, like, I know you can't badmouth the guy who gave you a break in the business and stuff. And, I'm, and I mean, Steve Jackson has an empire and he does really great stuff, but just Revolution feels so different than most of what he does. Well, it's like at, at, the, at the time, I think they had an idea of maybe going more in that direction. They were still trying to... to, to I guess find you know a little bit different of a spot in the market, but since then I think they they figured out that they they need to be pretty much Munchkin centric. Yeah, and they've got some other things too. You know, they get the ogre and the car wars and things like that, right. and some of the some of the classic stuff as well. Um, and so I don't know right. I just kind of came together right at this moment when they were kind of looking to maybe go a different direction. They ended up really not going that direction, but. Uh, I mean, they're still one of the, I think, most solid companies in the business today. At just the way that they they professionally approach everything and handle everything, um, it, it seems like they got their house really well in order. And uh, so they they've been fun to work with over all these years. Absolutely, and the thing that everyone comes away from that game with is they really love it, and they end up buying a copy a lot of the times when I introduce that game. The second thing they always say. Is this is an this is an industry standard for player shields? Oh, like yeah, all player absolutely. shielding boards should be yeah. like that. So absolutely, they're they're really amazing uh, components in that game. Honestly, uh, so courtier or courtier, right. I guess we say here in the states. Um, it feels a little like um, it has some crossover with Revolution. I mean, enough that if you've played Revolution and you played and you've played courtier, you would say, oh, I could see where the same guy designed that. Um, I guess is that just uh, you influenced yourself, or you had some ideas from Revolution, like yeah, kind of still was, inside you, or were there ideas for Revolution that kind of came out in Courier, or how did that I, happen? I, yeah, I can't say that there was really a whole lot of uh, 
crossover that I just absolutely thought about. But I mean, you know, looking back now, it's like, yeah, you can sort of see the kind of the same DNA. Um, the thing that I really like, and you can see this in even some of my other games, is I like this big um, board state that's really confusing looking, and, and you just have to look over all this mess and figure out the the answer to the the puzzle you know it's like uh, how am i going to make this work for me yeah and uh i think you see that in revolution you see that in uh, courtier and some of my other games too and I, I just really like doing that and uh so that that's kind of that's just kind of i think one of my one of my uh the, the style that uh, i go for a lot of times Okay, moving on to Black Orchestra. I just got my copy of Black Orchestra. I did the second printing of this game, and I was waiting for my pre-order like no other game I've waited for for a long time. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know. I guess what I'll just say is my background with this game is – I hope I don't get in trouble with my dad here. But on the back of the toilet – we had a copy of Bonhoeffer's <laughs> Cost of Discipleship there. Yeah, so good. that's the kind of background I had for mm -hmm. connecting with this game. And uh, so I guess my question is this. Did your love of Bonhoeffer develop this game, your love of history? What made this game happen? How did this get created? What happened with you that this was a thing? Well, yeah, I, I think that probably all of the above is, is the right answer. But it is... It, it was uh, Eric Metaxas's uh, Bonhoeffer biography that just really put me over the line for wanting to do a game like that. Now I've I've sort of been a, a history buff, you know, my whole life, and been interested in, in the World War II stories in particular, and you know the rise of Hitler and all of that, and you know it's just such a such a stark good versus evil kind of story, at least the, you know yeah. the way we look at it, and uh, and so that you know that's sort of has captured my imagination from, you know, since I was a kid. And, um, I, I guess I had recently been reading some more things about that. Um, I'd read, uh, Albert Spears book, which you sort of need to take with a grain of salt, but it's kind of a, an eerie sort of look at the inside of how some of that mm -hmm. stuff worked. And, uh, but then to read the Bonhoeffer book, which is just absolutely a, an amazing book. Even, even if you're not a Christian, I think you would really enjoy that book. And uh, it's it's a page turner. It's it's a uh, uh, just an exciting and dramatic story, and um, and so you know I just got my mind going that, that I I could make a game like this, and I needed to this this could work as a, as a good subject matter. And I just love that there's a potential that Bonhoeffer's story is going to get out there a little more. So I, this game to me, um, when you try and explain the some of the mechanics to people, it's like you can't really give the whole experience of the game to them um, for me and my experience of it. I, I mean, I sat down and played this game and it just moved me in a way that was, I had not really been moved by a game this way in a long time. Um, so these event cards would flip and the way how the different tracks would be manipulated and how they related to these real historical events, just the way how it made me understand and have a, just such a deeper sense of empathy for what these people were trying to do as a part of this resistance movement and just how their opportunities were so few and how things had to have lined up just the right way to try and make project Valkyrie or the black orchestra be successful. Yeah. Just all that comes so alive in this game. Uh, I absolutely love it. And the, you know, that's, that's really what, what I was after. I mean, I wanted players to have, um, 
I wanted players to have that those some of those same conversations that the real people involved might have had, you know, and to have some of those same feelings and the, the kind of the same emotions, and um, and so I, so yeah, that's absolutely what it, what I was going for, and uh, you know, I I think it it sort of worked out that way. Absolutely, just love this game. It's my favorite co op game right now, and I'm gonna say that. This game, like I lost sleep over it because I was thinking about like playing it again. Like that's the kind of influence it had on my mind and my thinking. I just absolutely love it. Uh, it's so good. Uh, so, and I can tell it was a labor of love uh, that you definitely put your heart and soul into it too. I mean, you just you can feel it. I mean, it just feels like art. It feels like board games as art. Um, so, how long was that game in development? How long were you working on that? You know, I think that's probably the game I've worked on the longest of any of them. And, yeah. um, and you know, worked on it the longest. You know, it's like not just had to wait the longest for it to be published. I did wait a very long time for it to be published. But, um, but I mean, we, we hammered and hammered and hammered on that thing. So um, I, uh, sometimes that doesn't, you know, that doesn't always work out. But I think it, it may have worked out in this case it shows in the final product in my opinion i feel like you're gonna have people just i don't know it's <laughs> it's your current opus i think hopefully right like rice dice will be your opus and like it'll be backed on kickstarter for like a billion dollars or something but i mean uh, i absolutely just love black orchestra I, and i own several of your games um and and this one just uh the thing i like about your designs so much are they are usually pretty unique i mean there's just I don't know. Um, some designers get ragged on for, you know, you get a feel for their games, but your games all have such different feel to them. You know, Kingdom of Solomon, Battle Cruisers, uh, Courtier, Black Orchestra, they're all so different. So I think that really just speaks to, I guess, the genius you have as a board game designer. Um, well, it speaks to, uh, you know, wanting to do something different every time. <laughs> So then Embark, um, there's not a lot of information about this one out yet. I just know that TMG has released cover art for it, and they've basically said this isn't going to be a Kickstarter. We're just going to go straight to press with that. Um, what can you tell me about Embark, I guess? Well, I think you're actually going to see some similarities between this and Revolution as well. I mean, we have the, uh, the bidding screens up again, and uh, this is sort of me trying to, uh, you know, grab some of those things and re-implement them in a different way. There's some area control in there, and but um, the idea of the game is you're trying to uh, load people onto ships and take them off to these islands and try to colonize the islands. And so, um, so the thing is, you've got a little board in front of you that correspond to all the ships that are available, and all the ships are kind of randomized, and they have different amounts of space and different jobs on them. And so you're putting all your little workers on uh, which ships you think you want to get onto. And then everybody raises their mm. shields up. And then you have to try to actually get onto the boats. And then once you get on the boats, then you have to get onto the island. And where you are in the boat sort of tells you what you do when you get to the island. And then there's uh, kind of some scoring based on that. So really, it's, it's a pretty simple, quick kind of thing, but, but very much kind of in that same sort of uh, feel, I think. That sounds fantastic, honestly. Now, when the design process comes to you, is it more generally like a lightning strike where you have something just break free in your brain and you're like, oh man, I've got to start writing things down? Or does, does inspiration come to you gradually and from different places? How does that work yeah, for you? A lot of times it does kind of happen like that. You know, I'll, I'll get up in the middle of, of the night and, have, you know, start taking notes before <laughs> I forget what I was thinking about. And 
that happens sometimes. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And a lot of times, you know, I'm reading a book or watching a movie or something. I think, oh, that that would be a pretty cool thing. And so, uh, you know, pretty much anywhere or or every once in a while, I'll think, oh, what if a game did this? You know, then you go the mechanics way of it. But, um, yeah, sometimes it just sort of hits you or there was a game maybe that you sort of worked on a long time ago and it didn't work out. But then one day it just clicks and you think, I know how to solve that problem now. And you grab it back out and you can make it I. I had a game come to me kind of like a lightning strike thing. I I worked on it for a weekend without hardly breaking from designing it. I got to my first play test. We got a quarter of the way through the game in six hours. So, I mean, like, uh, it can be frustrating, I guess, sometimes to think this is going to really work. And then people find all these crazy loopholes and things that you just have to go fix. So how much do your designs typically change from, from their inception to the final product? Are this, is there, you know, a, a process there where you may not recognize the game or is it, you know, usually pretty finished? How does that work for you and your experience? Well, I mean, uh, as you said, all my games are quite different and the experience of uh, getting them to the final version is a lot different as well. So it sort of depends on, you know, the game. Um, like a, a little game like uh, Battle Cruisers or something like that. I mean, that came pretty. That was one of those lightning strike games yeah. that just sort of came to me and uh, really didn't change a whole lot. Um, it did a little bit. We added a few things, and, and but um, I mean, um, so you know, I think um, by the time that I actually get like a prototype down, um, it's pretty close to something that. I think is going to work and it doesn't always work, but if it does work, then, um, and of course it depends on the, the publisher too. Sometimes publishers like have kind of a specific place in their catalog that they need again, or they need to be a different kind of theme or something like that. Um, but you know, sometimes, uh, we don't have to do as much, but then other times it's kind of a lot. So it just sort of depends. Sure. sure. That, that makes sense. Uh, now, one more serious question that I'm going to give you a couple of goofy ones that we can have some fun with. Um, what designs from other designers have impacted or influenced your designs? Has there been a game out there that you played and you go, whoa, that's, that's really something. Well, I, I guess I have to say that uh, Dominion has always been one of my favorites and that, that just sort of changed my whole idea of, you know, what was possible and, and just the, the feel that you could get playing a game. Um, I like the game innovation Mm. Um, and by Carl Chudik and that that also uh, I know I've spent lots and lots of time just like trying to figure out what in the world <laughs> makes that game work um, yeah. even even a game like Splendor I, I was really taken with Splendor for a while and just you know I, I understand it's a pretty simple kind of game but but the thing that you know is is keeping my attention is you know, just this question of why is this fun? You know, what, what is the, th- yeah. what is it about this thing that that's, that's pulling me in? I mean, it's such a simple thing. There's really not much to it. And yet, and so, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about some of those games and, um, and continuing to think about that. And uh, so, yeah, definitely some big influences. I, I definitely can see where um, those, those simple, just fun games that just work uh, could influence your designs because I see that in yours as well. Um, well, great. Okay, so now let's go to this, some just silly, weird questions here, okay? So if animals could talk, which one would be the rudest? <laughs> the rudest? Um, hmm. I don't know, maybe like uh, warthogs or something? Or <laughs> oh, Definitely warthogs. <laughs> maybe, maybe raccoons, actually. I, I have a particular <laughs> hatred for raccoons these days. 
You must have an outdoor trash can or something. I don't know. Something like that. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. They, they crawl around on my deck at night. Yeah. All right. And in, uh, in 40 years, what will people be nostalgic for? I don't know. Probably the, the quaintness of sitting in front of a screen and seeing it, you know, with their eyes and not having <laughs> something implanted into them or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Their flesh and bone bodies, not their cyborg implants that they have anymore. <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm wrong about that because that sounds horrible. It does. Absolutely. It does. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, Rice Dice going to be on Kickstarter. Keep an eye out for that guys. It looks like an excellent little game uh, coming out here sometime in March. And then also later this year, I hope I would think uh, Embark is going to be around. Um, any other projects you want to mention? I, pro- I probably should mention um, that uh, Kingdom of Solomon is kind of coming back as a game called Wisdom of Solomon, and it's going to be like totally revamped. And that's actually going to be on Kickstarter probably in May. So that's another Great. one kind of coming up. Great. I will look for that. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, and look for those Kickstarters, guys. Do yourself a favor. Great designer. Great guy. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a good guy, Jason. I really love talking to him. And you can just tell that he really, um, he just puts so much thought into his designs and he puts so much thought in just being an awesome person too. Uh, I'm looking forward to all of his projects coming up. And the rice dice thing I know is what a lot of people know is coming. But the, uh, the other game coming out from CMG there, it uh, looks like a really great little product, too. I, I guess it's not little. It looks like a little like harbor-sized box, but as I'm looking at more mock-ups, it looks like it's going to be a full-size box game, maybe. So another another cool game that may get in the Hall of Fame one of these days. Yeah, the game that I was excited that he mentioned was Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, a Kingdom of Solomon is... I love it, but I think it has some areas where it could be improved on and just be even an even better game. So when I heard him talk about that game, I immediately started drooling a little bit and I real I had to play that new version of that game. I'm not sure if he said it was a new version or a reworking or a sequel, but either way, I want to play wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. I looked it up on Kickstarter and there's very little information about it, but the way how old, old PDB, I, I don't know if he's been called that in his life before or not. That's what we kind of call him behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our boy PDB, um, what he kind of tends to do is just drop these bombs. It feels like, so like rice dice, like he said, he'd been working on it for quite a while and it just kind of came out of nowhere. It was like, Whoa, look at this polished, awesome game. And then the same thing with, I'm man, I lost for the name of that TMG game. Uh, oh. Embark. Embark, yeah. That game just kind of out of nowhere just popped up, and it looks like a finished awesome game. It looks like, I'm going to be honest, it looks a little like Revolution 2.0 with a little bit, I don't know, more player power kind of yeah, things? I don't know. I agree. Yeah, that, that's what, that is what it looks like, and I'm excited for it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you can't be replaced once you're in the Hall of Fame because in this, in this moment, in this era – you were like you like Babe Ruth. If he came back and played baseball right now, would like probably not be that awesome. But in his era, he was amazing. And the same thing with Revolution. Maybe it gets replaced with this new game. Maybe it doesn't. But it doesn't matter. In its era, that game's awesome. So anyway, that's right. all I've got to say. Yeah, and um, one thing he I really liked what he said about Steve Jackson because you were kind of talking to him a little bit about the Steve Jackson taking revolution and making it his game, you know what it is today. And 
even though we think that Steve Jackson maybe didn't do that game a favor, he spoke super kindly of Steve Jackson that he's thankful for the opportunity. He thinks they're amazing people. And that was just interesting to me that yeah, even though we feel that that game should be way more popular than it is and get way more publicity than it does, he still is seems like it was done exactly the way that it should have been done at the moment you that sh- it was done. You should have heard his hot takes once I turned the record button off, though, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. He was. He was. Yeah, getting crazy. That's completely yeah. and fully a lie. Like <laughs> fully a lie. No, I I respect Steve Jackson games a lot, but like even it was kind of cool how he was able to say, you know what? Like I love those guys, and there's great people in that organization. But since they picked up Revolution, they've basically decided Euro games aren't their thing. And that if right. it doesn't say Munchkin on the box, they aren't super into it. And so, I mean, I I agree. I think that, I don't know, Revolution's just such a good game. And it's just weird that Steve Jackson Games, who doesn't do Euro games at all, has a fabulous Euro game in their stable. And people just aren't hearing about it. So uh, that's why it's in the Hall of Fame, because you guys can hear about it here. Yep, that's true. Well, good deal, Jason. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for talking. Thanks for listening out there, audience. Uh, I've, I'm done. Anything else? No, we just have to come up with a word again. Mm. We got we to gotta do the word. <laughs> I, I don't know. What, what was our weird <laughs> hot takes? Hot takes could be our word. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Sure. Let's go with that. Uh, people are going to be posting hot takes on our on our facebook page and people won't understand why and i kind of <laughs> love that so yeah, anyway yeah i love it it's it makes me laugh a little every time i see it <laughs> all right well hey thanks for listening again for the third time i think i've said that now uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ending shows is hard guys i don't want to say goodbye <laughs> yeah well i mean we'll be back next week it's all good have a great weekend play revolution play voyages of marco polo play rococo Play something fun. Just post about it on Facebook when after you get done. Put pictures up on the Riveted. We love it. Yep, we do. We, maybe if we like a game that you have, we'll spotlight it or something, or we can discuss for a possible Hall of Fame injury. Or put you in the Hall of Fame if you're a super fan. <laughs> That's true. Yes. I'm looking at you, Mike Picorni. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We almost forgot. We have to give a shout-out to Katie Sandy Smith for tagging someone on the Riveted this week, too. To oh, yeah. Us. She did do that. She might hurt me if I don't if we don't say that. Give her an actual high five for me too, Jason. All right, yeah, I'll do that. I can do that. All right, see you guys. See ya.